brother! Ben, I was recently asked the question on Twitter, why wasn't Percy Weasley sorted into Slytherin? And it's a fair question. Percy's whole character is about ambition, and that's one of the main things Slytherin House is known for. And from his duties as prefect and as head boy, and the amount of concern and care he puts into those reports about cauldron bottoms, you can't say he's not ambitious. Even Ron suggests at one point that Percy might not be unwilling to turn one of his family members over to the Dementors if it meant he could get a leg up at work. And yet, I think it is always important to remember when considering these things that it is possible for people to be more than one thing, and that Percy is still courageous in his own ways. Take this famous line from Dumbledore, for example. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Now, obviously Dumbledore is talking about Neville there, and it's really hard to make any comparisons between Neville and Percy that are like super positive, but the point is, Percy is standing up to his friends and family for what he believes in. He's obviously a little misguided to the tune of what he believes in is clearly the wrong thing, but the sentiment is still there. And besides that, he does eventually come back around in the end, so there's that. But how does he end up so misguided to the point where he eventually disowns his family to the point where he was on the side of Umbridge? Well, would it make you feel any better if I said that it's possible Percy was under the control of the Imperious Curse for three years? Okay, so I'm not typically one to go around making excuses for characters' bad decisions, least of all Percy, who is an insufferable prat at the best of times. But the more I think about this, the more it seems to add up. Percy was always rigid and annoying, but for the most part, good-hearted. He loves order and rules. He's kind of like Hermione dialed up to 10, but at some point he just loses the plot. And I think that moment is right here at the Yule Ball in the Goblet of Fire, nearly exactly halfway through through the entire series. This is the very first time Percy shows up to stand in for Mr. Crouch as one of the judges for the Triwizard Tournament. And I think at that point, he is already under the Imperious Curse. So how does said curse work? It sounds pretty straightforward, but it can be a little tricky. The basics of it are, once you are under the Imperious Curse, you are forced to do whatever the caster wants you to do. But it is a little different from the other two unforgivable curses in a few ways. For one, unlike the other two, it doesn't cause pain at all. Instead, it's the exact opposite. It puts you in a state of complete ease and relaxation, almost like you've been hypnotized. Just imagine you don't have to make any more decisions. You can just relax. Everything will be figured out for you. Things will be thought of for you, understood for you. You can just exist peacefully. Subscribe. One of the weird things I find kind of fascinating about this spell is that it allows the person under the spell to actually do things they might not otherwise be able to do, like when Barty Crouch Jr. forces Neville to do gymnastics around the classroom. Or, well, I assumed he couldn't do them. I don't know, maybe Neville spends his summers at gymnastics camp or something, and ooh, you know what? Yes. 
new headcanon. But perhaps the most important facet of this curse is that it is a long-lasting curse that can remain in effect well after the caster has performed the spell. In fact, they don't even have to remain in the same proximity as the person. Like, for example, Barty Crouch Jr. has Mad-Eye Moody under the spell for an entire year locked in his own trunk, but obviously he's not down there with him the whole time, he still moves around the castle and stuff. The Death Eater, Yaxley, places Pious Thickness under the Imperious Curse, but clearly he's not with him at all times, like when he's telling Voldemort that he's done this exact thing. And the final unusual thing about the Imperious Curse is that with enough practice or willpower, you can actually shake it off, which is definitely not true of the other two. Well, unless you're Harry, who literally shakes off both the Cruciatus Curse and Death twice. Seriously, just great effect, I might add. But the only other way out of the curse, other than just being let out of it by the caster, is if the caster dies. This is what tons of Death Eaters claimed had happened to them the first time Voldemort fell, that they had simply been under the Imperious Curse. They were not in control of their actions. And we know for sure that even on his second rise to power, he was pretty much doing the same thing again, because the morning after his defeat, people were coming out of trances all over the country who'd been put under the curse. But that brings us back to Perseus Weaselborn, mm -hmm. Weatherby, or whatever he's called, and whether or not he too was put under the Imperious Curse. So the questions we have to answer are, who placed it on him, when did they place it on him, and why was he released? And as I said earlier, I believe the first time we see Percy under the curse is at the Yule Ball. That's because this is also when Barty Crouch Sr., who is also under the Imperious Curse, stops showing up for work. Barty Crouch Sr. was placed under the curse by Voldemort himself when Voldemort and Wormtail went to rescue his son, Barty Crouch Jr., who had been put under the curse by his father earlier that year. You got all that? It's a lot of he cursed, she cursed, we cursed, me cursed going around here. While Barty Crouch Sr. is first placed under the curse, they still have him go into work, but eventually he starts to fight it, so they decide, mm, no good, you gotta stay at home, we're just gonna send in notes. But I think the notes are mostly a formality, because the person receiving them, Porks Not Weasel Dude, mm -hmm. or Weatherby, or whatever he's called, is also under the curse at that point. Because here's the thing, Parsnips Waslin mm -hmm. is in his first year at the Ministry of Magic, and is by all accounts a complete nobody. Yes, he works for Mr. Crouch, but for the most part, it seems like he's assigned just really tedious, busy work, like cauldron bottoms that Parsi then has to go about convincing himself are really important. But Crouch can't even remember his name. I mean, this guy allegedly knows over a hundred languages, but can't remember the name of a person on his staff? Admittedly, it is a really hard name. What is it? Purple Washcloth? No. Mm? But certainly, as the head of the Department of International Magical Cooperation, he would have a lot of people working under him, right? Doesn't really seem like it adds up, does it? But here's the thing, if Voldemort and Wormtail are going to stop sending Crouch into work, a man who, according to Sirius, if he's ever taken a day off work because of illness before this, I'll eat Buckbeak. Crouch not going to work is suspicious in and of itself, so certainly you wouldn't want his replacement to blow the cover, right? But then you might be thinking, why would they choose Percy? Wouldn't he be just as suspicious for all of the reasons you just said? Yes, he would be, but Percy does have one very special thing going for him, and that is that he was the previous owner of one Scabbers the Rat, aka 
Wormtail. In fact, I dare say that Primrose Weberdeen over here was the main owner of Scabbers. Scabbers was his pet for 10 years and was only actually with Ron for three. Wormtail knows not just the Weasley family, but particularly Polyester Wickersnicket over here extremely well. Honestly, it is better luck than Voldemort could have ever hoped for other than Bertha Jorkins happening to wander into his corner of the Albanian woods, I guess. That was lucky. Oh, and she's a huge gossip who was bad at her job, but somehow privy to really sensitive information like the Barty Crouch Jr. had been smoking out of Azkaban. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. You wanna call Time Turner's a plot device? Bertha Jorkins was a plot device. The point is, if anyone can pull off this spell effectively on Percy, it's Wormtail. As for when he did it, I cannot imagine it would have been that hard to get Percy to just show up at the Crouch's house and then just spring it on him unexpectedly. And even as a judge, you can even see that Peace Witherspoon does try and give Harry full marks on the second task. Fortunately, I guess for Harry, Karkaroff talks him down to a 45, so somehow the only other bad guy is actually doing more to help Harry than he even realizes. Point is, the act of giving Harry full marks on this task does not sound like the kind of thing that regular Whistlebits mm -hmm. would have done. Harry arrives back outside of an hour. He brings back more than his allotted number of victims. He breaks the rules in several ways. It does not sound like the kind of things that he would award full marks for. But of course, Voldemort wants Harry to have the best marks possible, so he has a huge lead going into the maze. So full marks it would be. I love the idea that even though Voldemort's trying to kill him, he has to be really rooting for Harry throughout the entire tournament. Oh, I want that Potter boy dead, but my god, he's good on a firebolt. Even before the second task, when Harry is arriving late, you can see that Percy is really upset about it. Where have you been? The task is about to start. And obviously this would be upsetting to him because if Harry doesn't show up for the second task, he's gonna be really far behind when they go into the maze. But from there on out, I think Percy just remains under the Imperious curse unbeknownst to himself or anybody else. It would certainly help explain how and why Percy is able to turn his back on his entire family and yell at his father that his poor reputation has been holding him back for years and his lack of ambition is why the whole family is poor, which are seriously terrible things to say, but are the exact kind of buttons Wormtail would know to push to drive a wedge through the family. But that brings us back to Percy's redemption when he returns at the Battle of Hogwarts. It's been coming on for a while, said Percy, mopping his eyes under his glasses with a corner of his traveling cloak, but I had to find a way out, and it's not so easy at the Ministry. They're imprisoning traitors all the time. Coming on for a while, you say? Hmm, that is interesting because it seems like it lines up pretty perfectly with one Peter Pettigrew's death. As a refresher, Wormtail dies after Harry, Ron, and Hermione are brought to Malfoy Manor, and in a moment of weakness, his silver hand turns on him and strangles him to death because he fails to kill Harry. That takes place at the beginning of April, and he arrives at the Battle of Hogwarts on May 1st, so it feels like more than enough time for the curse to break and then for him to start searching for ways out of the ministry. But that all kind of brings us back to the original question I started with at the beginning of this video. If he was under the curse the whole time and that's the only reason he was standing up to his family and all he's left with is ambition, then did he actually belong in Slytherin House? But again, I don't think so, because once the curse breaks, if that is indeed what's happening, the first thing he does is come back to his family. And while it might take a great amount of courage to stand up to your family, I think what he does might take even more courage than that. And that is admitting 
he was wrong. And he literally yells it to the entire family. It is not an easy thing to do, but why he definitely still belongs in Gryffindor. Ben, my question for you and everyone else is, what do you think was Percy under the Imperious Curse? But much more important than that, please leave us your best fake Percy name in the towel section down below. I cannot wait to read them all. Guys, if you're looking for that perfect holiday gift, I think Carlin Brothers Coffee might just be the thing for you. We've got coffee, we've got tea, and best of all, for the holiday, hot chocolate. We're going to have lots of really great deals going on on Black Friday. If you want to get in on those, you can head over to carlinbrotherscoffee.com and sign up for our email list. I will put a link in the description down below. Thanks so much for watching today's video. Please remember to hit that like button if you haven't already and ding that bell so you don't miss any future Harry Potter action from us. If you want to see the top 10 Fred and George moments in Harry Potter, you can check out this video right here. Or if you want to see why Ron's so bad at magic, you can check out this video right here. But Ben, that's all I've got time for today, man. I will see you in another life, brother.